Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. In Luke 4, 18-19, Jesus Christ preaches his first sermon to a group of Nazarenes in a synagogue on the Sabbath. He quotes from Isaiah 61, verses 1-2, to where the text talks about the servant of the Lord. Jesus identifies himself as the servant. In his sermon, Christ not only proclaims the good news of God, but also declares that he will bring the good news to pass. The good news of the gospel message is good news because it is a free offer of saving grace to all sinners. Thus, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be saved and delivered from the wrath of God because of sin. The good news gets better because since salvation is something wrought by God from start to finish, those who have faith in Christ have unshakable, eternal security. They have this certainty because salvation is not of man, rather, salvation is of the Lord. A believer is therefore always safe in the hands of God. A reasonable person will respond by saying, yes, that is good news. It is also good news that God has opened up his gospel message to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Subsequently, in Luke 4, 25-27, Jesus basically tells his original listening audience of Nazarite Jews that no one has a claim on God and that he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. In other words, regardless of what a person's racial, ethnic, or national identifiers are, God will save whom he will save. Upon hearing that, the crowd's response was less than favorable. In Luke 4, 20-29, the text says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove Jesus out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. What is ironic is that at the beginning of this narrative, the crowd initially responded with wonder and amazement to Jesus' teaching. So what happened? How did the curiosity of yesterday turn into the indignation of today? What happened is that Jesus challenged and unsettled the people's theology so that God was exalted high and the sinner was pushed down low. Essentially, Jesus told the people that salvation is of the Lord because God is sovereign meaning he is king, he is in complete control, and he has all power and authority. Because God is sovereign, that means no one has a claim on him. Because God is sovereign, man is not. Ultimately, Jesus' message disrupted the people's worldview. The inward spiritual violence against bad theology manifested as reactive outward physical violence against Jesus. When Jesus rehearses what God had already done in Luke 4, verses 25 to 27, the people could not stand hearing what happened in Israel's history, that God saved those people who were aliens and foreigners. Once the sovereign God shatters people's categories of okay and not okay, people invariably crumble because they no longer have any categories left. This is what the Word of God does. It gets deep down into your soul and grips you. When it does, there are only two legitimate responses, either radical submission or radical rebellion. 
If there is a response that falls anywhere in between, then the message may have been heard, but it was not properly understood. But here now is a crucial point not to be missed. The Nazarite Jews who were in the synagogue the day Jesus preached and who responded violently, they were presumably in synagogue before. If, like most Jews of the time, they were Jews from birth and they likely attended religious worship services every weekend. But in the past, they never revolted against God and tried to push him off a cliff. Why is that? What was different this time? What was different is that in teaching them about the sovereignty of God, Jesus exposed what was really in their hearts. Underneath all their religiosity and ceremonial externalisms was actually a hostility toward God. This hostility may have hid under the guise of religion for quite some time, but Jesus tore the veil and shined a bright light. Hence, in the example of the Jewish Nazarenes, we see the danger of religion, that it may actually harden the hearts of its followers. It may harden people's hearts by deluding them into thinking that participation in outwardly religious acts makes their standing with God superior. This makes man think he can thus control God. Based on works, God owes him something, but God is sovereign, and because God is sovereign, then man cannot control him. If man cannot control God, then God does not owe man anything, regardless of how many works he has done. For anyone who believes in a religion of works, being told that a lifetime of religiosity means nothing would certainly provoke a person to rage. I said before that there are only two legitimate responses to the Word of God, either radical obedience or radical disobedience. But let us take notice that one way by which a person expresses radical disobedience is by radical obedience. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that if you truly believe in your heart that you can win God over by what you do, you must reject what he has already done through Christ. The result is a hyper-religious person who does everything right on the outside, but on the inside doesn't actually trust God. They do trust their works, which is how they manifest radical disobedience by radical obedience. What infuriates this person is God's grace or when he bestows free, unmerited favor on sinners. What infuriates this person is that they think the recipients of grace don't deserve it because they have not earned it. What infuriates this person is that a sovereign God will not acknowledge that their works either makes them better or more deserving. God is the author of his gospel message and that message tells us what he has done to save sinners. It must be that way because no one can save themselves, and if a sovereign God did not save us, no one else could. Sin blinds the eyes of men, and this blindness prevents them from seeing how utterly destitute they are at the throne of God. In the end, no one deserves or has a right to be saved. This is why God must save by His grace. If it was not by grace, then no one would be saved. In Luke 4.30, the text tells us that even though the people revolted against Jesus and tried to kill him, he passed through their midst and went his way. We ought not to look back on this episode with judgment and say to ourselves, I would never do that or I would never respond that way to Jesus. On the contrary, we ought to look back with a careful lens of self-examination, cognizant that we don't really know how hostile we truly are to God unless provoked. If the people responded that violently to God in their midst, 
who is not to say, we will not respond in kind to a proclaimer of God's truth. Every man who dares to preach the truth of God's word is one sermon away from being kicked out of town. Let us all be mindful to beware of heart-hardening religion. Let us all be mindful not to fall back into the trap that we do so that we can earn with God. To understand how God deals with man is to understand one thing, grace. For those who are in Christ, we are already loved, already valued, already thought of, already cared for, and already treasured. Therefore, we do not have to do for anything. We simply do out of the freedom that emanates from the love that we have for our master. The bad news is the heart hardening of religion. The good news is the heartwarming and heart transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, who by definition only saves those who never deserved it in the first place. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.